All right, everybody, welcome back to the art and science of complex sales. I am Paul, and I'm really pumped here to be with Ian Richardson. And uh, Ian is a partner of ours and an absolute badass in the sales realm. So, Ian, could you take a take a second and just uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I would say that I'm uh, I'm, I'm Ian Richardson. One of the two Richardsons from Richardson and Richardson Consulting. I'm a recovering IT business owner and sales junkie. So, <laughs> recovering IT. Why, why recovering? Uh, I got started in business running a IT outsourced company. Um, essentially, someone who takes care of IT for small business owners on a fixed fee retainer. The industry lingo is a managed service provider. And I was about two years past my sell-by date when I sold that business. So I had gone from loving technology to tolerating technology to whatever I sell technology to God, I hate technology <laughs> by the end of it. So thankfully, I'm, I'm in recovery now and I no longer hate technology with the burning, fiery passion of a thousand suns. It's just more of a, it's more of a hey, like tech's okay. <laughs> so, so you had a bit of an opinion on that, like, I like a, bit of an a, opinion. a tiny bit, a tiny oh, bit. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cause I think we're best served when we talk to opinionated people in this, cause we can actually learn something <laughs> instead of just ingest something. So you're a sales geek. So there's one question I always ask people when, when they get on here and it's, it's a fun question because, and everybody that's listened to, to this before knows that people define this in a million different ways. So the question is define sales. So you say you're a sales geek, but, but define that because the, the definition is not like a, a Wikipedia or a Webster's dictionary definition. Yeah. So I would, uh, I would define sales as the opportunity for two or more individuals to find whether or not a relationship makes sense between two or more organizations. That's selling. It's relationship building. It's, hey, hey, Paul, is there an opportunity for Richardson and Richardson and Membrane to move forward together in pursuing X, whatever X is? And maybe that's your mission. Maybe that's the impact that you want to do. Maybe it's just, hey, like, I see an opportunity for us to go over and build a bridge over there. Do you want to go build a bridge with me? It's just, it's an opportunity for individuals to figure out if organizations could move forward together in a relationship, whatever that relationship would be. That's another tricky word in sales, right? As you said, mm -hmm. relationship. Right? Yep. Say relationship and salespeople's heads, like there's some that love that word. There's some that hate that word. Like what, what does that mean to you when you're talking about a relationship in sales? Yeah. Relationships, um, it, it, it's, it's ongoing. And it's collaborative. Like I like the concept of a flower shop if I'm talking about sales, right? Like you go into ABC Flowers and you buy something off the shelf and you leave. That's not a sale. That's a transaction, right? Like I came in, I grabbed something, I left. And there's not necessarily a relationship between that flower shop and me. There wasn't any selling between that flower shop and me, right? It's, you know, I spent 30 bucks. I grab my bouquet of flowers. I'm off with my day. But if I go into that flower shop and I say, hey, like, here's kind of what's going on. You know, my wife uh, likes the warm. She doesn't like the cold. Winter is kind of tough for her. She can get depressed easy. I'd like something that could brighten it up. But I also don't want it to be 
so summery bright or whatever that it kind of reinforces the fact that hey we're in we're in michigan spoiler alert i'm in michigan uh it's cold outside it's gray outside it's going to be gray until april here when we finally start to see blue skies again can you do something that ties in with the fact that yes it's gray but it's still alive in a room and then that florist can say well there's a couple different options and here's different ways we could do that and they last for this amount of time so if you want to have fresh flowers every two and a half weeks so that they don't start to decay. So it doesn't trigger that. We can just like swap the bouquet. We can swing them by and drop them off and whatever. And suddenly you've talked about creating a relationship around that problem versus just a transactional flower purchase. Mm -hmm. So like a flower shop, which you wouldn't think about having relationship-based sales has that from time to time. Uh, but it just, it depends on where you slice it. Right. And so that is a, that was an opportunity for the florist in me, a consumer to form a relationship around meeting the needs of a problem that I had. That's really like, that's, that's kind of the difference between selling and transactions and, and a relationship is something where it's, it's ongoing and both sides are winning, right? Like both sides are winning because I'm getting something that I need to solve a problem. I don't need flowers. Nobody needs flowers, right? I mean, bees do, but mm-hmm. thankfully we're, we're not bees. We're not, we, we don't live and die on pollen, right? So, but if I want those fresh flowers in my house, it's for a reason. And so that florist is able to say like, okay, like here's the things that we're trying to avoid. Here's the problems we're trying to solve. Here's how we can do that. Keep it fresh and do something interesting with it and avoid the negativity that might come from like drooping or dying flowers. So we'll want to replace them on this sort of a cadence. So you have this bright pop of color where your wife's going to be working at every day from now through April. And then there's flowers outside. So you won't need to have them inside because you can just take her out for a walk. So you said something there that that triggered a thought. So there's a word out there, mm-hmm. empathy. That's this yep. is it's a big word in in relationships, and it's actually one that I've seen a big negative negative uh, pushback in terms of a lot of sales reps because they're like, well, I don't I don't know how to put myself in somebody else's shoes. I don't want to know what they're feeling. And what what you just described there though is is empathy being cognitive empathy, the ability of that florist to take the, the logical position of you, right? Mm-hmm. And understand, you know, what's going to go on through asking questions and through understanding rather than this idea of emotional empathy that I need to f- feel everything that you're you're feeling, right? Yeah. And so empathy in relationships is something that I think is really important, but it's also something I think that gets uh, in the sales world. You don't have this image of somebody out on a, you know, a lot of it when you talk about it, it's like you you have an image of people out on a golf course talking about their woes and all that, and then closing the deal at the end, right? It's the furthest thing from that to me. To me, it's what you just described as a relationship that has cognitive empathy that understands I can, through questioning, I can put somebody in, put myself in your shoes and then make a recommendation that actually has some sort of weight and then continue. And continue and build that respect. It, it's just a thought, but th- does that hit with you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, empathy. Um, I agree. Like, it's almost it's become kind of like a dirty word. 
in the sales profession, which I, which I don't like. And I, I like to tell people that you can't really understand someone without being to empathize, without having empathy for them. Because understanding of the situation, like, yeah, here's the finances of the situation, right? Like, this is how much money it's costing you. And this is the impact of those costs. And here's what it's doing to your team. But if you can't understand, like, the pains, hopes, fears, desires, etc., all of those feelings that come across with it, and if you are assuming what someone's feeling versus asking the questions and figuring out what they're feeling, you're basing the whole crux, the whole foundation of the relationship off of something that might be right, but it could also be wrong. So in that previous example, that florist can say like, okay, well, what are, like, what, what are the colors of flowers? What types of flowers do your wife like? Does your wife like, does she get bothered by wilting flowers or not? Like how, what's well, like, talk to me about your house. Talk to me about the layout. Talk to me about sun. Talk to me about what helps your wife feel happy and things like that, right? They can explore those conversations and walk through it and try to figure out and create an understanding of who I am, who's my, who my wife is, what the house layout is to where like, Hey, what type of flower, like what type of lighting is in the, is in the room because certain flowers are going to pop under certain types of what light where other ones might wash out or, or not be as vibrant or not, not have certain things. And we're obviously getting to the, to the end of my floral knowledge here. <laughs> I don't want to present myself as a, as a flower you, exit. As a you've, flower opened the wrong, you've opened the wrong business. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I am. I am definitely not a florist. <laughs> if I manage to keep already dead flowers alive on the way home, that's a victory for me. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't drop them. I didn't crush them. They didn't somehow die between the store and the, and the house. Or die well, more, so, I guess. <laughs> so let's get into let's get into your business, and, and I'm, I want to do this in in one part because you define sales as the negotiate essentially the the negotiation the ability to have an ongoing relationship that includes understanding full understanding of the other person. Well, not full, but you know as much understanding around that problem, around that problem that you can gain. A big part of why we connect is your ability to systemize and your ability to think system. Wise. And that's a big part of your business as well. So how do you take that definition of sales and then turn it actually into an effective system? You're not doing that once. You're doing that. I need to do to run a business. I don't need to create that relationship once. I need to create it a hundred times. And so you're working with companies to be able to do that really well. And so how do you get that started? Yes. Yeah, so um, as with everything, if you, if you Talk to anyone who knows me, they'll say, oh yeah, Ian's a pretty big process guy. And process is another one of those words that can kind of feel dirty, like process that sounds like handcuffs, that sounds like compression, that sounds like, you know, follow the path and, and like I'm a robot and I don't get to express myself and spread my wings. And I don't agree with that at all. I think process removes frustration. I think process sets people up for success. I think process is rocket fuel. The way that I described it to the newest member of our team is, hey, like, imagine if we do this right, that every common situation and even some of the uncommon ones that happens, you know exactly what you got to do. You don't have to have questions. You don't have to be uncertain. You don't have to be scared about making a mistake or screwing something up or making someone mad or failing. You still might do all of those things, 
But when it happens, you'll go, huh, something broke in the process. We should look at that because I followed it and it didn't work. Great. You found an opportunity for improvement. That's not going to make someone upset. That's going to go, oh, wow, we didn't think about that. We should adjust it for next time. With sales, sales is just anything else. It's not black magic. It's not amorphous. It's, it's just a system. It's just a process. What am I going to do step by step? So when someone gets handed off to me from marketing as an opportunity, I'm setting up a phone call and I walk them through right at the top. I would say, hey, Paul, like it's, it's great to meet you. You were spending an hour today. I like everyone who's going to invest an hour of their time to know exactly what to expect. So if it's okay with you, want to run through the agenda today and what's the next step in the process. And that agenda, I'm going to take five minutes and tell you a little bit about me, a little bit of background that took me to where I am today. Want to review our process with you throughout. We do a five-stage process and we're in step two of that five stages, which is discovery. And most of the day today is going to be talking about you. I'm going to walk through talking about your organization, where you want to be in a couple of years, where you are today, what sales and marketing and strategy looks like at Membrane. And at the end of that, if we're seeing an opportunity where there might be some things we could partner on, we'll set the next step of reviewing all the notes I take today. And what I'll do with those is I'll put them into a document, make sure my understanding's right, review my recommendations in the plan. And if those sound safe and sound, then we can take the next step for a proposal. One of the things that you said there is you're involving the buyer or the other person in your prospect. Mm-hmm. And that is that is also something within sales that gets... Uh, some people love that, some people hate that, right? But uh, mm-hmm. tell me how you recommend and operationalize that within companies. Like, Is that something you say, yeah, absolutely. Every single step of the way, they should know exactly where they are in our sales process because it's their buying process. Yep. Uh, that's you, you nailed it right on the head. So I've been, I've been working for most of my life, but I've been involved in owning or operating and running a business in some way, shape, or form for 18 years now. And universally, 100% of the time when I have failed, it's been from communication, period. Like every single time, it's because we messed up on communicating. And that goes way past sales. That's operationally, financially, whatever. We just messed up on communicating something. And so... I just developed a core focus after getting punched in the nose so many times of not getting punched in the nose anymore. And the easiest way for me to avoid communication failures is to focus on making sure everyone has the proper expectation set. And what better way to do that with a new prospective client than right up front, which is, hey, look, this is my process. This is what it, this is what it involves. This is what you can expect. We're here. And I'm going to explain every step of the way as, as we walk through it, because it's my process, not yours. I don't want to assume you know my five-stage sales process. I don't want to assume that you know how our contracts work or how anything works. So I'm just going to walk you through it and make sure that your expectations are being met. Right now, we're going to do this meeting. And most of the time, it's going to be spent with me asking you questions and you answering them. And then at any point, if you have a question, go ahead and ask it. But you, you know, like... You, you kind of reached out to me. You opted in to say, hey, there might be an opportunity to partner here. So I, I need to make sure I understand what's going on. 
And so just setting those expectations up front and making sure someone understands them is important. So I've been talking about this five-stage process. The second stage is discovery, which is really around identifying if, if there's something there and assuming that there's something there. I don't know what someone's proposal is going to be after having a conversation with them. For one, I, I always sleep on my notes before I pick them up and, uh, and then put them into a findings document. And that's just to start with a clear head, right? Like just set it aside and, and pick it up 24 hours later and, and do that. I've found that, that I do a better job when I do that. But you can, you can usually, anyone sold for a while for an organization, you kind of know pretty quick where someone's going to fall down based at like there's some big, big red flags that fly up. You go, all right, they probably need a consulting engagement. Yeah, they probably need a plan or they're really looking for outsourced marketing. So that always gives me the ability to do a range. And so one of those expectations is kind of near the end of the conversation will be to say like, hey, I don't know what I would recommend for you yet. I, I like to sleep on these findings documents. So I'm going to put this down for a day and pick it up tomorrow and, and organize my thoughts. But organizations that looked like you and had similar topics of discussion ended up between X and Y over whatever, over a year. Is that in your budget right now? Why wouldn't I ask that? So then they know what to expect. The worst thing is to get all the way to the end of that process and then say, all right, here's a proposal and have someone be like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Why wouldn't I set expectations on what the process is, what the time is, what the budget is for every, every step of the way? Because that's, nobody likes to be surprised. At least I've, I've yet to find someone who really, really enjoys surprises. Now, you know, like a surprise birthday party, even that might be a little bit too far because you never know if someone had a really crummy day at work and now they're coming home and there's just these random people in their house and all they wanted for their birthday was to just like sit down and have a turkey sandwich and go to bed. You said something earlier, 100% of the time that you failed was due to communication. Yep. What are some tips and tricks to ensure that you're communicating absolutely effectively with a buyer? I think um, learning how much that you assume is a big one. And that's, that's a really hard lesson to get around. So we, we make our brains function off of assumptions. It, like the brain's an interesting thing. We don't know a lot about it, but one of the things that happens neurologically is that your brain will take previous experiences and relate them to what's happening in the present to inform what you're going to do. That's how you judge something. And pre-judgment is when you walk in and you're, you're pre-judging a situation. And so I really try to make sure that I approach situations and I'm by no means perfect by like not even remotely close, but I try to make sure every time I go into the conversation, I'm not pre-judging something, one, and two, if I hear something and my brain immediately goes to, oh, they mean this, I go, wait a minute. So what I heard you say, Paul, was X. Is that right? So validation's another one. So, so listening to comprehend versus listening to respond is a good one. And just don't be afraid of asking questions. I don't think asking a question makes me look dumb. I think asking a question makes sure that I can avoid being dumb. <laughs> So asking what someone meant, and if I don't understand, I say, well, I don't understand. Can you help me understand that? 
If I hear something that is concerning to me, well, hey, I've got a concern. I heard this. Did I hear it right first? Because chances are, a lot of the times I heard it wrong. No, that's, that's not what we meant or that's not what I said. I said this. Okay, I heard this then this time. So what's that mean? If someone says something's a big problem, okay, well, what's a big problem to you? Is a big problem like, hey, I hurt my finger and it's bothering me and that's a big problem to me personally? Or is a big problem like your business is going to close? Or is it a big problem like, well, if we don't have it solved in 10 years, it'll close our business or something different? Like what's what's big mean and what's problem mean? Because everyone defines things differently. So just... Get used to asking more questions and through getting those questions, you kind of level set, right? Like everybody gets on the same page and when you're on the same page, it's easy like, okay, well, we're turning the page now and now we're still on the same page. So it's, it's easy to, to be in alignment and not miscommunicate if you've just made sure that you're not functioning off of an assumption or that there's an expectation set that hasn't been voiced. You, you mentioned one of the great tips that I absolutely, I love. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. And, and so few people do it, but is you, you have an adjective, right? So big, you mm-hmm. small, you know, people describe things in a way that, you know, we quickly prejudge in our own heads. But to me, it's like a, it's a, it's a flag. I've learned that it's a flag that it's like, okay, cool. What is just so we're on the same page, what does that mean to you? Because a big problem to me, you know, to some people is that, you know, they, you know, forget to forget to send their kids to school with lunch money. A big problem to other people is the fact that they have a $1.5 million riding on a, on a deal. And it's, it's those type of questions that are really so insightful. How, how do you make sure, one of the things that and I know we're diving on this a lot, but how do we make sure, how do we build that into a process? Like, how do you build, how do you recommend building that understanding into, so we talk about sales process at the beginning, how do we build that understanding into a process that a, a rep can follow to ensure that we are as clear as we possibly can be well, to eliminate mistakes? So um, I kind of, I divide processes into steps and best practices. Okay. So um, I've always found that helpful. Steps are just, this is what you're doing in sequence. First, you do step one. Step one has five questions that you're going to ask. You're going to ask all five. Step two is this. Step three is this. And you're going to ask four questions, et cetera. So just follow the steps. Best practices are a do this each time, every time type of thing. And so that's much more, that's not, it doesn't fit neatly into a step. It's uh, when you hear X, you should do why. So if something is open to interpretation, you should ask some variation of the question, what does that mean? So this is a big problem. Okay, Paul, I hear that it's a big problem, but can you help me understand what that means? Mm-hmm. What's the impact of that? Oh, well, that's this. Okay, well, what's the impact of that? <laughs> Like, well, it, it, it could mean that we could lose this contract. All right, well, what's that contract worth? That's $100,000. $100,000 a lot of money to you or, or not? That's I mean, yeah, a big amount of money. Well, what's big amount of money mean? Well, it means we'd have to lay off two people. Okay, well, what's the impact of laying off two people? 
And you'll notice we're asking like what or how or why three to five times. And that's my best practice guidance is that when someone says something that isn't concrete, hey, you know, so if you said, well, Ian, this is a problem and that problem will cost me $1.5 million and mean I have to lay off 10 people and it'll set us back two years on our financial plan. Well, okay. There's not a lot of what I need to ask about that. Like, that's a pretty clear statement. You've, you've sealed that up for me. Mm-hmm. But if you say that's, well, that's a big problem. Like, there's two different understandings there. One, it's a big problem, and I could fill that in from my own blanks, I could assume. Or two, I could ask the questions to understand, well, hey, it's, it's a big problem because it sets you back two years on your plan. So you've lost the past two years of progress. You have to lay off two people. You lose $1.5 million at the top. And if you're uh, only $500,000 in profit, then you're losing a million dollars a year. Suddenly we went from profitable to way unprofitable. And that that's a business in crisis there. Mm-hmm. So one is big problem and the other is, oh, okay, here, here's some material facts. So just kind of diving in and, and, and exploring that. So the, the best practice we built out around non-concrete answers is ask what, how, why three to five times until you get some concrete data points. You have a hardening process for that concrete. That's like, right. Yeah, That's I love right. it. No, I, and I, I like that idea of steps and um, people define this different ways, right? But being able to look at things as steps in a process that we walk through and then best practices and even being able to, what I truly appreciate is I, I love buying. I think it's wonderful. I hate being sold to and I define being sold to is you, you essentially pitch me before you even know I have anything, <laughs> you know, I have a problem, right? That's what most people assume being sold to is, right? That flower, going back to the flower shop analogy, right, is, is you can take, you know, they'll, they'll bring up the bouquet and they'll ask you to, they'll ask you to sign up for their monthly subscription, but that's the very first thing that they start with, right? Oh, huh. you look like you look you look well, like you can use some flowers in your sad. life. Here's some roses. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even like roses. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm finding it fascinating in this series how people, how different people dive into that and, and give best practices around it. I think that's a really concrete way to think about it, which is, okay, we have a process. And then at each step and stage of the process, we're going to train on best practices on how you you dive in. Yeah, you want um, you, you want to get really really good. Put little reminders about those best practices, and this is one of the things that, for all of you listening here at home, Paul might not be plugging membrane, but I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the things that attracted me about about partnering with membrane is that I could put my best practices into each step and have it pop up and remind. Right, like it's it's great to have like, hey, I've, I've got this little sheet of paper here. And I wrote down my best practices before doing stuff. But if I've got a process that's complicated and has 52 different steps, it might be pretty difficult for me to remember, oh, hey, don't forget to ask why three to five times on step 22. Like that might be a little bit difficult to remember. But if I just put a little pop-up in there and then when I click into step 22 or I, I go to step 20, okay, what's the next thing I got to do? Oh. Hey, you know what? You're about to call Paul. Remember about asking why three to five times. And I can just jot it down a little sticky note and put it right here on my monitor. And then it's right there in my face. 
for when I do that phone call instead of having to remember it the whole way through. Try to get your tips into your steps, however you however you might be doing them. Yeah, no, I and thanks for that plug. That's one of the reasons why I, I, I absolutely I love the system that we're developing. And we we geek out. I can't wait to geek out with you on our process and learn more about yours as you've built it into membrane and and also your customers that you're putting this into because it's 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 that ability to craft process across you know prospecting your pipeline and as well as growing accounts. Mm-hmm. as well as put in that best practice training that just attracted me to this platform. And you said something to me earlier that I'm, I want to talk about, which is I wrote down two things. One is um, sane, reasonable goals. Mm-hmm. And the second is process is rocket fuel. So we talked about ensuring that people have, and this ties in, but ensuring that people have sane, reasonable goals for sales. And so how do you do that when you're creating process, when you're understanding and, and uh, understand the organizations that you're going into, understand your, your own organization, like how do those things match up? I got a sales process. Now I got to put goals around it. Now I got to put goals that people can hit and be excited about. I'm not asking this question in a great podcaster way, but but I, I want your thoughts on that just because it's something that everybody thinks about, right? Is how do I set the right goals at the right time for the right people? And how does that tie into my process? So, um, you know, we're, we're popping into like Peter Drucker land here, right? The concept of the SMART goal, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound. But um, attainability is sanity. Um, you know, like business growth is always relevant. So you can almost discard R when it comes to business growth or or creating a sales goal. Of course, it's relevant. We need to grow the business, right? Who doesn't want to grow their business? But attainability, usually you have to look at past performance to dictate future performance when it comes to sales teams in an organization. And so, for example, if you have a million dollar company, and that million-dollar company has grown by 10% year over year for five years, they know how to grow by 10%. And so if a new leader comes in and says, well, we're going to grow by 100% this year, that is not a sane goal. You can set that goal and you can hard drive to it. But right now, the systems, processes, infrastructure, and people that are in that organization are geared towards 10%. They're geared towards getting... X many accounts per Y period. They're geared towards following this process that's been delivering sane, stable 10% growth. It doesn't mean that 10% growth is good and 100% growth is bad. Absolutely doesn't mean that. It just means for that particular organization, that's what you're geared towards. Mm -hmm. And so if you go to some seminars and take some training and all that type of stuff, you go back to your business and say, we're a $10 million business, and we've plateaued for four years. And we've, you know, we've gained some clients, we've lost some clients, and we've, you know, we were 9.5 one year and 10 another year and 11 a third year and down to 850 a fourth year. And now we've just jumped up to 10.5, right? Like you've been hovering around 10, essentially. You're, you're flat. And so if you come in and say, well, we're going to grow by 20%, I would have questions about that if I was sitting across the table in a strategic discussion. Because for the past five years, you haven't been able to grow. 
creation of, of saying goals based off of your ability to perform and ability to scale is good. And the other big thing, and I have this conversation more often than not, we do two things. We do planning at R&R. &R, and the other thing is we help people come up with growth strategies. And so someone might come to us looking for us to help out with a growth strategy and, and go to market planning and, and lead generation and demand gen and things like that. Well, yeah, we want to grow by 40%. And you ask some questions and that would equate to them adding you know, three new clients a month. And okay, well, Paul, how many clients did you add last year? Well, we added four. Okay, so you want to add essentially your entire last year's client load in one month. And you want to do that every month. What's your hiring plan look like? How much talent do you have? Like, what are your sources for talent? How quickly does it take you to bring on a new employee? How many new employees have you been able to add in one month successfully before? And none of those are sales questions. Those are all operations questions. But if you're setting a sales goal that you know what? You've got this. You've got a shark that you just hired. And this shark has every, like, they brought along their own processes. They don't need your process because you might not have it defined. They know what they're doing and they're going to be able to blow it up. But if your ops team can't deliver on all of these new deals, all this new paper that's being signed, what are you doing? Like, you're not going to be able to charge for that. You're going to get sued by somebody. Like, mm -hmm. You're not. You're you're going to create a bigger problem than you would have if you had said, "All right, well, you know what? Going back to our first example, we've grown ten percent year over year for five years. Our growth goal this year is ten percent. Or if you wanted to improve on it, you know what you could do is you say, you know what, our growth goal this year is eleven percent. We're going to stretch it by a sane, reasonable amount. We've been doing ten percent for five years. We've got that down." We're going to do these different exercises. We're going to grow by 11 or 12% this year. Well, that seems sane, reasonable, and measured. But if you're trying to go from 10% to 100%, I got questions. So if we start to think of, and I'm going to bring it back into the sales and tie it all the way through, because we both have some similar history in terms of backgrounds around business and that type of stuff. But one of the things was really interesting to me here is like you, you have a sales process and you can tweak that. You have a marketing process and you can tweak that to get levers. If you're not looking at tweaking, at having that sales process tie into your operational process at, at all and every given time when you're on a growth trajectory, you're missing the mark. And one of the things that I, I find a lot of times is silos in that, where you'll have sales people say, yeah, we can go out and we can nail X, Y, and Z, and we're going to tweak our process and we're going to get to X, but the operational processes aren't up to snuff. So you always have, there's a good book. Um, Gosh, it's old. So remember, oh, the goal. Uh, oh, yeah. It is the goal. Have you ever read the goal? I have not. So it's an old book on on manufacturing optimization, and, and mm -hmm. but he applies it through a story. And the story is this. There's a story that stuck out to me in that, which is Herbie. The, the idea of Herbie in a in a uh, Boy Scout troop. So Herbie was the least in shape kid at the Boy Scout troop, mm -hmm. and they always wanted to. But the whole Boy Scout troop wanted to go for a hike, right? So they put everybody and they all did it in a line, right? So, and they did it in this line. And, and so they started the hike by saying, Herbie, okay, you go to the front. And so everybody behind Herbie was very slowed down and they didn't, they didn't get to the goal. Then they decided, okay, Herbie, you go to the middle. The challenge was, was that everybody behind Herbie got left behind. And then they said, Herbie, you go to the end. 
challenge with that is that Herbie got left way behind the Boy Scout troop, right? The, the moral of the story is that you have to identify very quickly in any growth plan from sale, you have to identify your Herbie. Where is our bottleneck going to be? But And you can't work on everything at once, but a great process, like a good sales process, I've found integrates repeatability on the front end. A great sales process integrates that repeatability on the front end and ties it to operational executability on the back end in a way that is repeatable standard and you know it. Like that is a great, and your salespeople even know it. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah, if I do this, I can do this. And our our CS team is going to do this and we're going to be here and we're going to be nailing goals. Like that's what I heard you say. <laughs> did I sum it up? Did I sum it up right? You did. The last, it's, it's circling back to where we started. The last step in the fifth stage of our sales process is the first step in our account management process. Mm-hmm. They're identical. So you, when I'm closing that process down, when someone signed paper and signed off and everything, it's having their kickoff meeting with our delivery team and account management to start executing on that contract. Mm-hmm. So there's that seamless handoff where like, hey, Paul, welcome aboard. Glad to have you starting. This is the end of that five-stage process that we've been walking through. And this is Steve, the project manager who's going to be working with you. And I'll obviously be doing some things. And now we are starting the first step in your year-long contract for executing on whatever it is you just bought. Well, we're going to have a lot of people listening to you and your advice, and they're going to want to know how to get in touch with you. So we're at that time when we need to wrap up and... I need you to tell the world on how to get in touch with Ian and Richardson at Richardson. Yeah. So uh, you can hit our website for everything we do, which is rr.consulting. Note that there's no .com, .net, .org in there. It's just rr.consulting. I'm super active on LinkedIn. You can search for me, Ian Richardson, on LinkedIn, or you can do the uh, in slash Doberman Technologies, Doberman Like the Dog, which is my old IT company. Little uh, pro tip on branding, don't use a company name when you set up your uh, LinkedIn or else you're stuck with it for the remainder of your days. Um, so I'm, I'm super active on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to me there or uh, hit us up over at r and If you want to just jump in and schedule some time with me, if you click on connect at the website, it'll take you to either Carrie's or my calendar where you could book time with either of us. So love the chat. Yeah, and we're going to have to do a whole... Check them out on LinkedIn. We're gonna have to do a whole segment. We're gonna another maybe like six, eight months down the road. We we roll with a segment uh, on you and your LinkedIn strategies because I gotta tell you, those are like the best pictures that you have of yourself and carry like all the time, and you do a fantastic job on that. So make sure you do check out Ian on on uh, LinkedIn. Thank you so much for this time together. Been awesome for me. I know I've learned a ton, and hopefully it's uh, helpful for others. And with that, everybody, we're signing off. All right. Hey, thanks, Paul. Have a good day, everyone.